0: like outside of the daily mental practice that we're gonna cover that you can implement inside of a practice plan. Just have fun with the trial and error process. Have fun with figuring different things out on Google or sharing a story or whatever it may be and seeing which ones the kids react to the most. Deep breath, focal point, attack. That's three things I can control every single pitch. I can take a deep breath, I can get a focal point, and I can attack that focal point. It's just a, a, a cool environment. And you're going to play better and win more games, which is you're accomplishing two things at one time.
1: Hey, everybody. I'm Max Price, and you are tuned into the High School Coaches Club, Episode 16. And boy, do I have a treat on deck for you here today. Most of the listeners in the baseball world are well acquainted with Jager Sports. The owner, Alan Jager, the push for proper arm care, J-bands, mental health, all of it. Jager Sports has been doing really special things for the baseball community, and they've been doing it for a really long time. But I know their impact is meant to go beyond the baseball world, and that's why I asked the VP of Jager Sports, who's also the founder of Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression, Chyna McCarney, to put on the headset and plumb into the depths of mental health with me. Through this conversation, you'll learn about the panic attacks, the anxiety, the mental struggle that China went through despite looking like he was doing great. We're talking with a guy who was the state player of the year in California in 2005 for baseball, who was drafted by two different Major League Baseball organizations. He looked from the outside like he was doing amazing, but he was living two lives. And we're going to go into that with this conversation so that you have a chance to experience through China what some of your athletes are experiencing right this second. But we're also going to explore resources and understand why spending a few minutes every day in practice with some really basic mental training can pay off in the long run by making our players better humans, but also in the short run by helping us win more games. And let's face it, it's really hard to give up practice time on something that we don't think will help us win. But trust me, this will. Near the end of our recording, China also gives us the gift of about a 10 minute or so guided meditation that you can use in practice with your athletes today. Something that can serve as a jumping off point for you to enter the next phase of your coaching career. One in which you not only say that you care about mental health and mental toughness, but you actually provide your athletes with the tools to make it happen. This is a special episode and something that can immediately make us better coaches. So let's make the leap and welcome in the VP of Jager Sports, China McCarney.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You've been with
1: Jager Sports for a long time, and we'll get into who you are and what Jager Sports is and all that stuff. But I, I did some digging on you, uh, not in a bad way, but I was kind of going through some tweets and uh, just kind of searching through and learn a little bit more about you. And I came across one that you posted from uh, really early in the pandemic, and I thought it kind of brought together everything that that encaps, kind of encapsulates you and, and what we're going to talk about Uh, You wrote in that tweet, one thing that brings me peace during this coronavirus situation is knowing that when I wake up in a cold sweat with a panic attack at 3.30 a.m., I can roll over and turn on the office.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, first of all, that's the most uh, thorough research ever done um, into my background. But yes, um, Michael Scott and the whole Dunder Mifflin family was there for me and, uh, I've got to do some some moving around now because as of January first, they're off of Netflix and only streaming on on Peacock. But yeah, that's uh, I try to bring some humor to the mental health journey for sure.
1: Well, I, I really like it. So I, I tweeted maybe a couple weeks ago, right? You know, as the Office was coming off the air on Netflix, and um, I, I said I wrote something along the lines of like I've I've appreciated the Office being kind of a constant in my life for the last. I think it went on there in like 2012, maybe. And so, I don't know, maybe a decade of literally any time I had free time, pretty much the office was on in the background. I kind of felt like a place to to kind of ground me, no matter how high or low the day was. It's like I could always count on Dunder
0: Mifflin. And now,
1: like you said, now that it's kind of off Netflix, I'm like, I don't know, do I pay, do I pay to get Peacock? Do I find something else? I don't know.
0: Yeah, no, it's great, great marketing by Peacock and NBC as a whole to kind of dangle it out there for years and years where, like you said, it was like background music. Like when I was a kid, Vin Scully was kind of my background music. My dad always had either the radio or the Dodger games on, and that was kind of a constant. And now it's like the voice of Michael Scott, which is definitely different than Vin Scully. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely, definitely crazy. Oh man.
1: I, yes, I love the office and it's been a big part of my life, which is a weird thing to say, but it it really has been. So, um, So people may not know Jager Sports. Obviously, anybody listening to this knows if they're a baseball guy or or gal, they probably know um, of Alan Jager and Jager Sports and J-Bands. And I think it's real important for coaches who aren't baseball coaches tuning in to understand uh, you're not on the podcast to like try to sell them anything from Jager Sports. Like We're here to try to help people uh, provide an opportunity for their kids to become better humans and to be uh, in a, in a better mental space. And on the flip side, it, it will also kind of help us win baseball games or, or softball games or football games or, or tennis matches or whatever it is.
0: Yeah, no. And that's, uh, what you said is perfect because I've been, you know, we joked about it before we press record. I've been with Jager sports for 21 years and I'm only 33 only in air quotes. <laughs> um, but I got to live this program as a player and fell in love with it so much that I wanted to be a part of it. And I've never, never, ever felt like I've been selling anything. And that's one of Alan's big um, kind of lessons that he teaches you early on is that it's not about selling anything. It's just about providing information. If you go to JaggerSports.com, I mean, 90% of the stuff on there is free practice plans off-season throwing programs, all that stuff. And it's just free, and it's all because of exactly what you said. We're trying to just make an impact, help people reach their potential, optimize their physical and mental training, and hopefully get out of the game whatever it is they hope to accomplish.
1: So for people who have never heard of Jager Sports or Alan Jager, can you give them the quick synopsis of what is this? What is Jager Sports? What do they do? Who's Alan Jager? And then how did you get involved with this so long ago when you were just a a, a little tyke, basically?
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So Jager Sports, uh, I'll give you the website little snapshot if you clicked on the home homepage. Basically, it's an arm care and conditioning and mental training program um, rooted in baseball because that's where Alan Jager, Jim Batcher, the co-owners, um, that's their background. Um, but we, we specialize in arm care and conditioning with arm circles, the J bands, which is what everybody kinds of kind of knows us for. That's the tangible product and then a long toss throwing progression. Um, and then mental training, mental training is really where it all started back in the early nineties with Alan, Alan Jager. Um, that was his passion after he had a personal experience in college that kind of, um, altered his path mentally. Um, and so he was passionate about meditation, psychology, everything like that started the company based on mental training. But in the early nineties, um, mental training was not widely accepted. And so it was a little bit difficult. And so he incorporated, I'm not going to put words into his mouth or describe his journey for him, but out of almost necessity, he incorporated the physical part, which he was tremendously passionate about as well, but it was almost to pay the bills. He had to do camps and stuff like that because mental training wasn't as popular. Um, And so, yeah, he just kind of was doing that for years. And I was introduced to him in 1999. My dad saw an ad um, while we were at a car wash for a Jager sports camp when I was 12 I was like, I don't want to go to this thing. I was terrified. The kids were older than me. And, uh, here we are 21 years later. And thank God my dad made that decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's,
1: it's been a huge part of your life, obviously. And, and we can kind of get into that. And if, if we go back to your, well, your high school career, but even your senior year in high school, you, you have some records, you're in the top 10 in a lot of different categories for single season. Uh, I think hits triples, maybe some other things that I, I may have missed. And, um, down in California, you were the the state player of the year, uh, your senior year, you ended up getting drafted two separate times by, uh, Cleveland and then by Tampa Bay for, for, for baseball opportunities. So, uh, from the outside looking in, somebody would look at, at, at McCarney and think, man, that kid had it all. He's, he's, everything was great. He's great on the field. I'm sure. And so you were kind of living basically two lives because there's there this facade on the outside of like, here's who I am, this great baseball player, you know, people might think everything is going great, but there is a different thing going on on the inside.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of the best way to put it is living two lives. Um, And when I describe my mental health journey, I basically say that's what I was doing until 2015, which is until I was 28 years old. Um, I was living one way on the outside of how I wanted people to perceive me. I wanted to be judged necessarily. Um, and then I was dealing with debilitating panic attacks, worry, stress, depression on the inside. And that's just not a fun way to live. And in high school, high school was so much fun. Playing was so much fun. I got to be an athlete, you know, being a shortstop, center fielder, pitching. Um, but it was always about the next level. What, well, you know, where's the scholarship coming from? Are you going to get drafted in this round? And so there was just a lot of external pressure, not to mention I came from a divorced household with a parent that was um, incarcerated twice before I was 12 years old. And so there was a ton of just stuff I hadn't dealt with. And so, yeah, absolutely. There There was something that people were seeing like, oh, my gosh, look at these awards and these records and it must be so much fun. And then a totally different thing going on beneath the surface mentally and um, not really being exposed to resources or anything that that could help me in that way. So, you know, did what a lot of high schoolers did and college students did with partying, self-medicating, stuff like that. And then
1: you, you know, you finished college and, and eventually jumped into kind of a business associate role, I suppose, with Jager Sports. Um, been doing that for quite a while now, obviously. And, and I think it's important for people to know, you know, as you're, as we're talking about our our mental health journey and, and specifically with you thinking through your panic attacks and, and what you've been dealing with, it doesn't just go away when you have success. Right. So if we go back to like your senior year of high school, um, you know, again, people looking on the outside of it, Oh, he's having, he's doing great on the field. He must be doing great. And then fast forward, you know, as an adult, you know, you have a, a, what seems to be a really good job, a house, you know, you're driving a car, like you're, you seem to be doing really well on the outside again. And then, um, I think obviously where your journey has changed a little bit is that those mental health struggles don't go away necessarily because of success. But now you're much more open about talking about it and, and dealing with it in ways that are probably a lot more healthy than you may have done it in college.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, the, the journey, I wish it was as easy as just checking off some boxes and then your mental health just took care of itself. Like, oh, I got a place to live. I got a car. This is awesome. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, it's... um, What really kind of defined my path is... So in 2009, that was my junior year of college. That was my draft year. Kind of the culmination of this sort of fake journey that I had been put on. I mean, I liked it, but it was like you know, you're going to go to college, you're going to get drafted, you're going to go pro. And that had been predetermined since I was like 15. That's what Mm -hmm. external pressures were kind of telling me was going to happen. And so in 2009, I had my first real panic attack where I didn't know it was a panic attack at the time. I thought it was a heart attack. I didn't know what I was dealing with. I was driving up the coast with a girlfriend of only three months at the time. So welcome to the relationship. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And I had to pull the car (laughs) over And um, my dad had to drive over an hour and a half to come get me. And she had to take my car behind us. And it was just a mess. Um, That was 2009. I got help in 2015. So that should tell everybody listening. That's six years of... I went to the doctor in 2009. They told me it was a panic attack. I wanted to punch them in the face because I was like, how did... Something mentally just caused those physical symptoms, right? Like I was like, tell me I had a heart attack. Tell me something physically went wrong that we can fix. Um, but then I was still on my baseball journey and I hid I hid that event from so many people because I didn't want scouts to know. I didn't want them to perceive that as a weakness. Blah, blah, blah. Fast forward 2015. I'm done playing baseball. I'm in my, you know, professional career here in LA, and I order a hamburger on the habit app. Beautiful hamburgers, just beautiful. (laughs) Uh, But I go to pick it up. I pull into the parking lot. And at that time I was having basically constant anxiety, constant panic, but I could not get out of my car and go into the habit to get the food I had ordered because I was having such a panic attack in my car where I thought I was going to throw up, pass out, whatever it was. And so that day in 2015 was kind of my rock bottom where I was like I can't do this anymore. I need I need help. I need to you know, I need to get out of my own way and let professionals help me. And so I got a therapist and that's what's kind of started me. Once I reach rock bottom and I kind of felt like I had nothing left to lose. 2015 to now fast forward 2021, I am in that more comfortable spot where I realized it's so much better to just be who you truly are and not live the two different lives and just tell people you're having panic attacks and tell people how it leads to depression sometimes. And not only does it help you, but all of a sudden other people are willing to share with you and you kind of have this community and realize everybody's dealing with something. So I apologize for the long winded answer, but just giving a nice detailed snapshot of how, that kind of went from you know that six seven year period and now all the way to twenty twenty one. I like to give kind of that whole journey so people can understand.
1: It's I think it's vital for people to understand that that it doesn't just um, it doesn't just right, go away with success or especially in terms of of most of the people listening to this are high school coaches. Um, you know just because there's an athlete who is doing really well on a baseball field or soccer field or whatever. Doesn't mean that inside they're doing really well, and so I, as a coach, like my you know my immediate thought goes to you know are, are could there be players that are under my watch or you know that are playing with me that are going through struggles that I that I don't know about right that I am not picking up on somehow, and um, th- this is probably a really personal question individualized for each person, but is there you know as a as a high school player are there are there you know, red flag sounds horrible, but for lack of a better term, are there red flags to look for in a kid? Are there ways to, to um, you know, tags to kind of look for that might help us understand, Hope you know, maybe this kid's going through something right now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and first and foremost, hopefully coaches are obviously building relationships with their players. Because um, when you're in a relationship with somebody, you can tell Basically, if they're in a good mood, a bad mood, indifferent, whatnot. And one of the biggest, for using the same term, lack of a better term, red flags is a massive change in behavior. So, and that can go either way. If you have an outspoken, charismatic athlete who all of a sudden is reclusing themselves from the team or just down or something, there's probably something going on there. Um, and so that's where, if you have a great rapport built up with the athlete, you can ask them, hey, how's everything going? Um and everything like that. And then the other way, if you have a kid that's more, you know, calm, docile, kind of more even keel, and all of a sudden they're way up and they're talking and and you're just like, wow, that that seems a little different. That can be um a signal or signifier that something is wrong as well, that they're kind of overcompensating for that. Um and so a big behavior change um is something to look for. And then really, you know, it's always gonna come back to what are you doing on a daily basis as a coach within your culture, within your program to develop a relationship with your players? And then if we're talking about mental health specifically, are you doing things on a regular basis to like, take away the power of the stigma of mental health within your program to where it's not like, Oh, anxiety, depression, let's sweep it under the rug. Don't talk about it unless there's a problem giving resources, giving education, um, on a regular basis, so that it just becomes normal, and your players feel comfortable talking about it with you, with the staff, with players, um, so that if something does come up, they they know where to go. Let's say something
1: does come up. <clears throat> I I mean I've I've heard you say this before, and it's it. I think as a teacher and a coach, I think most of us get this and understand this. But uh, you know, you, if a kid seems different, seems a little off. Yeah, the, the last thing you want to do is walk up to him and be like, "You know, Bill, are you depressed right now? Are you going?" You know, it's like it's it seems so off putting. And so, if you do notice that that a kid is clearly acting differently than normal, that you know, either really up, like you said, which I think might surprise some people, um, or down, which seems to be the more um, I don't know the one people tend to think of. Um, what's the next step? Okay,
0: you know, he's going through something. Now what? That's the tough part because if there's not a system in place, like if there's not a um, like kind of a step by step guide that you have built up within your program, that's where it's going to be tricky because you're going to have to toe that line between. I don't want to go up to this player and ask them, like you said, "Are you depressed?" But I don't want to not do anything. So right. if you do have a rapport, if you do have you know where you're bringing resources to the player's attention on a regular basis, that's where you can have that conversation with that player. And instead of those pointed questions, have a conversation with them where you just ask them about life in general, or you just say, Hey, how's it going? How's everything at home? How's school work? this and that. And you kind of, you know, lead the witness for back lack of a better example, where you just let them start to talk to you, have a conversation with you, and then they might be willing to just divulge that. Um, but that's, The billion dollar question and the life-saving question is you have to figure out for your own program whether like I always talk about at the beginning of the season, you have that first meeting with your team. Discuss mental health right then and there. Make sure they know it's gonna be a priority for your team. You're going to have guest speakers, you're going to let them know where resources are on the internet, where they can do it by themselves if they don't wanna, you know, feel like they're being judged or whatnot. But The more and more you can make it normal and less uncomfortable for the players, the more willing they're going to be to share. And that's one of the biggest hurdles we have when we do events, what I've always talked about. We did an event with the Los Angeles Sparks. We did an event. We're doing an event with the Bulls, the Diamondbacks. They always talk about these resources, resources, resources. And my point is always resources are great, but the individual has to be willing to admit that they want the resources. And so how can we change the environment in the arena that night for a mental health awareness night to make it to where mental health is normal in here tonight. We're allowed to talk about it. We're allowed to be who we truly are. And so the more steps you can do before that moment where you notice a big uh, personality change is going to just yield incredible results in terms of that athlete being willing to work with you or being willing to accept the resources that you're providing for them.
1: that's a really good point in that I think with especially with with coaches at the high school level um, there's such a um, I don't know perceived lack of time you only have a finite amount of, of time to spend with your athletes right you don't it's not unlimited we don't have them all day a, a professional sports team has access all the time college sports teams have a lot more access and then high school coaches only have so much access you know time within the day and within even this the year to be with their players so what you're talking about, the idea of front-loading this, of making it a part of the daily conversation, starting at, you know, the early meetings in the year and normalizing it makes a ton of sense, right? So that way when they, when it is, when there is something coming up, they've they've got these resources, they've got the sense of normalcy to rely on. And to your point, maybe they're more accepting
0: of, of kind of taking those resources. Um, yeah, and the, an- another point really quick to kind of um, maybe make it easier to understand for, A coach out there it's it's mental health and mental training and yielding mental results is a lot more difficult than physical because it's not tangible necessarily you can't necessarily see mental improvement or mental health because it's mental Mm -hmm. um but if you think about it in terms of like we're talking about Jager sports and arm care and conditioning and any athletic coach out there can kind of digest this example Alan has a term that he likes to call prehab. So we've all heard about rehab with the arm or an injury. You get injured, you have to rehabilitate to get back to your optimal health level to perform for the team. And Alan's approach with arm care and conditioning early on was do what you would do with an injured arm with a healthy arm to prevent the injuries. (laughs) So do the bands, do the stuff that you would do after you've had surgery and implement that as part of your health routine when you're already healthy and it can go a long way in strengthening and avoiding the avoidable injuries and it's the same thing with mental health is why address mental health when there's an issue why not try to do stuff not that there's anything wrong there's going to be unavoidable issues that happen but if you can implement resources early and often you're going to be more equipped it's like having a toolbox when something comes up you can fix it so if you just do it early and kind of approach it like that, it's the same thing with physical health, Um, you're going to be a lot more equipped and you're going to avoid a lot of the unnecessary um, or avoidable injuries. And the duration and severity of those issues won't won't be as severe if you do something to prepare.
1: And I think that's a a great point too, in that as coaches, we can prehab it, which I really like from Alan i I've heard him use that term before, but with the mental health part, you're right. It's, we can't see it. It's not tangible. So as a, I'm just thinking as a high school coach, it's really, it's like this almost mystical thing, right? It's like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm I'm buying into it. I want to make time for it. I get that. It's important. It's going to help my kids be better humans. It's going to set them up for success in life. might even help us win games along the way but I, I don't know what to do. Like, okay, I, I want to do this. I want to make it part of my team and my culture and my program. I, I'd love to spend, uh, sure, I'll, I'll carve out five or 10 minutes every day to, to do something even in practice, but I don't know what to do.
0: Right. That's a, a great point. And that's uh, why we're doing podcasts like this, right? We're going to give coaches um, a blueprint, a snapshot. We're going to do, um, at some point, we'll do what a daily mental practice looks like, but there is no wrong answer of what you can do. Like one of the things when I, I've been given presentations, COVID has been tremendously difficult and terrible for so many reasons, but there's been silver linings and everything, obviously. And, and the, the digital connectivity of just being able to speak to teams on Zoom and do stuff like this has been one of the coolest parts of just the adaptability of human beings. It's so fun to watch people just make do with what they have. And in my presentations to coaches and stuff recently, I've just been telling them like Google mental health, take one thing from Google every day to your players and just tell them a story or share with them that Kevin Love shared his depression. John Ham, the actor shared his depression, DeMar DeRoz- whatever it is, there's no right or wrong way to do it. The only wrong thing would be not taking action and not trying Because there is no blueprint and mental health is about as mysterious as anything out there. And so there is no right or wrong way. If you're just trying, if you're letting them know there's resources, I have a foundation, the athletes against anxiety and depression foundation where we have a resources page where there's free articles, free steps, five tips for dealing with panic attacks, stuff like that to where as a coach, No one is asking you to have a PhD in psychology or applied psychology or anything like that. We're just asking you to prioritize mental health, not only for the athletes, but for yourself because if your mental health as a coach is better, you're going to be a better coach, better husband, better wife, whatever it may be. Um, But like outside of the daily mental practice that we're going to cover that you can implement inside of a practice plan, just, Have fun with the trial and error process, have fun with figuring different things out on Google or sharing a story or whatever it may be and seeing which ones the kids react to the most and then sharing more stuff like that. So that's one of the first things you can do is just bringing it up on a consistent basis is going to do amazing things that you would never have thought because it's going to create a comfort level within your culture to talk about mental health.
1: Last year, I heard Alan Jager uh, with with Sheets, and if anybody doesn't know Sheets and his podcast, I'll link them in the show notes too. Um, They're obviously baseball focused, but you can learn, you can apply the stuff to anything you're doing. But um, he had Alan Jager on, and um, it was it was it was wonderful. Like it just, I I was listening to it, and I'm just like getting fired up. Like, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this part of my program. I'm going to never not do it. And so last year in March, right, where our season starts, we, we have tryout week, then the next week, uh, you know, we've got our teams formed. I'm going to start doing this, and then the next day, our season's canceled. And I'm like, "You got to be kidding me!" So we got we got to do it basically one time, yeah, and, and then everything was canceled. So I've been kind of collecting ideas and things, and and I'm, I can't wait for this season to start. But one of the things you mentioned really stood out to me is the idea of, of COVID and silver linings, and we've talked about it on the show with a few different people. Of you know, what are some good things that have come from this? And a lot of things that coaches have said is is like having time to pause, like press the pause button, cause they've never been able to do that and reflect on their program. And what do I do? Well, what am I not doing? Well, where am I, where am I falling short for kids and whatnot? And then I've also seen a lot of talk through this time, um, a, a lot from parents, but also from coaches talking about with, with kids, um, maybe not having access to sports, and then also a lot of kids, including those here in Oregon, not having um, access to in-person school. Everything's online. Um, there's this huge talk now where this idea of mental health is becoming really normalized. People are, are talking about it and the mental health of our kids. And I think, I think and I hope one of the big things that comes from this COVID experience is helping create an even more sense of normalcy around talking about mental health, because we're seeing a ton of it right now, and my my hope is that as as COVID, I don't know if ends is the right word, but whatever, when we go back to quote unquote normal, whatever that is, that this this goal of, of of mental health and and providing space for it continues when we start back up, and we don't just go back to how we always did things before.
0: Yeah, that's such a a great point, and I would like the first part of your point too, where coaches have said, oh man, it's, it's amazing to have this chance to pause. Right. And I totally understand. I think coaches, teachers, leaders like that are the greatest human beings on this earth. But, and I know how schedules can get, and I know there's crazy, crazy requirements and parents calling you and PTO me and all that stuff. But if, if you're saying to yourself right now like man it's been so great to pause and you can feel how that's had an effect on you as a person in your productivity all that stuff prioritize that when the world does get back to quote unquote normal if it ever does but <laughs> is if you've loved this pause set time without your throughout your week like maybe it's a sunday night or you know a friday night after the week is kind of gone but where you remind yourself to pause reflect you know, uh, go over your priorities. What are you trying to accomplish? What's your intention? Because that's been, like you said, one of the coolest parts of COVID is the time that we've gotten. And it's been stir crazy and we're not used to it and it causes anxiety, it causes depression, all this stuff. But then there's also the other side of that where it's like, oh man, I've really wanted to try to get this trademark for years and now I have time to do it. Or I've really wanted to write this book or I've really wanted to do this podcast or whatever it's been. And all these things have happened because we've been given the gift of time. But I think what we've seen throughout this process is we have a lot more control over our time than we gave ourselves when the world was just go, go, go. And so I'm hoping like you're hoping in terms of like with your point with the normalness of talking about mental health, I hope it's the same way in the way people allocate their time and make use of their time, that they give themselves that chance to pause, take a step back and just kind of have that overall awareness too.
1: We're recording this on a Monday, and I think, it, I think Alan just dropped it yesterday, but he, a little video um, called The Art of Quiet, um, I think it dropped yesterday. Anyway, I, I saw it for the first time yesterday and saw it on Twitter, and it kind of goes straight to this point of this idea of how important it is to take time, whether it's every day or or even if it's if you can't, can't wrap your mind around that, then maybe once a week where, like you said, you press pause and you just – You take a moment because there's so much noise in the world. And like Alan said, it's not just noise in terms of sound, but just, you know, you've got our phones, we've got our podcasts that we're listening to, we've got our, our, our families, we've got our, all the thoughts that are going through our minds all the time and the ability to just take five minutes and see how much that will do for you is it's, it's huge. Um, I, I tend to do it as I'm doing dishes. We, we don't have a dishwasher. And uh, <laughs> so my wife and I, we live in an old house. It's built in the 40s. We love it. But one of the drawbacks is there's the anyway, long story short, there's no dishwasher and there can never be <laughs> And yeah. so, uh, dishes by hand for the last, uh, oh, gosh, uh, seven years. And I have actually come to really enjoy doing the dishes, which is weird. I never thought I would have for the first three or four years because I hated it. And I kind of have realized it's because it's the only time throughout every single day where I know there's it's just going to be me in silence doing dishes. And there might be maybe my wife and kid are playing in the background, but it's still it's kind of like the Muppets. It's just like, you know, or the uh, Charlie Brown or whatever, it's just this sound in the background that's not really there. And it's just me with my thoughts taking a moment. And I've realized that that's like that's my quiet time that I have every single day. And I've come to really embrace it.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's a, another great point for the listeners to kind of take in. Cause one of mine um, is the shower, right? When in the shower, you're alone, there's no sound really with the water. And so that's one place where I'll set my intention mentally and just kind of breathe. And it doesn't always have to be where you're laying down and or sitting in, you know, full Lotus or whatever it is to get your meditation is, is if you find quiet time or stillness throughout the day, it can do wonders for your brain. And so whatever that may be for you, I don't have a dishwasher either here with my fiance. Um, so I can definitely relate to that, but, um, yeah, it doesn't always have to be, I mean, it's great if you can allocate the time to lay down for five, 10 minutes, breathe, and we're going to cover how to do that. But, um, You know, it's just what's your priority and what do you want to do? And one one more point I'll make is earlier you asked, you know, who is Alan Jager? And you know, he almost, you know, to a fault isn't the right way to say it, but he is so locked in with his routine and what he needs for his like mental being and mental space. He doesn't like fluctuate from what he does in the morning. Like he'll wake up. And he will not do anything until he is stretched and meditated. And it's usually an hour. And there's been many a clinic back in the day where I'm in my freaking anxiety panic attack mode because he's in his hotel room, not out yet. We're like, it's clinics at 915. It's 855 and it's a 15 minute drive. Like you better get, and he will stay committed because that's his priority. He knows that's what he needs to be at his best. And it is so impressive and infuriating (laughs) at the same time because it doesn't doesn't matter what's going on that day if if uh he wakes up a little late or whatnot he's gonna get his stretch in he's gonna get his meditation in and he lives what he preaches um maybe better than anybody in my personal life that i've seen you know over the course of a couple decades here it's it's impressive
1: yeah. I'll link his, I'll link that art of quiet video in the show notes. I think it's worth people's time. It's only like four or five minutes. And yeah. uh, give you a chance to see and meet Alan Jager If you've never, you've never experienced him. And I, I'd be on your side with that. I'd be getting, I'd be so anxious. I can't do anything time-wise. Yeah. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. We're going to be late. We can't do this. Yep. Oh, man. Um, I So before we, before we dive into the, you know, the part where we actually give coaches a chance to experience what it's like, um, I want to I want to hit this, and this isn't the most important thing, but it's a question that will be on some coaches' minds. Um, obviously, they want their kids to be better people. They want to give them the space, um, but they also want to win games. How does how does taking time and carving time for um, a little bit more focus on the mental side of things? How is that going to translate to um, winning more games?
0: That's the perfect question because that's when I get a coach on the fence about prioritizing mental health. That's my go-to line is this is going to help you win games because as coaches, you know, we keep our jobs and, you know, if we have aspirations moving on or whatever it may be, you, you get jobs because you win. (laughs) And, you know, it should be about developing human beings and the responsibility, responsibility of leadership, which is what it is for most coaches, but we got to win games too. And so I think, Everybody can agree, and there's cliche quotes out there you know, baseball is 90% mental. Okay, well, then why is your practice plan 100% physical? Um, And doing mental training, prioritizing mental health, you're going to have more relaxed players, more focused players, um, more engaged players. So if you have a player, that is strong mentally and you've helped him work that skill, he's going to be better at committing to the present moment. So in practice, when you're doing a drill on PFPs or you're doing bunt defenses or whatever it may be, do you want your player more engaged? Then prioritize his mental health, prioritize mental training. If the bases are loaded in the bottom of the ninth in a game and you're down by one and your hitter's up there, do you want him thinking about the bases loaded and it's the bottom of the ninth or he needs to get a hit or do you want him – to have a default system where he knows to take a deep breath, he knows to focus on where the pitch is going to be, and he focuses on attack. These are all tangible results, and this is going to be something we're going to cover once we take you through kind of the basic mental – it's going to be basic, basic, basic – but a mental practice exercise. We're going to talk about the correlation between why does what we just did translate to better athletic performance, better life performance, better school performance – Um, and so mentally tougher, I mean, coaches preach mentally tougher. You got to handle adversity. You got to do it. And it's like, okay, well then what are you providing your athlete to do? So (laughs) like, you can't just say it and then do three hours of a three hour practice on ground balls, BP and everything, if you're not addressing the mind. Um, and so it's, it's so many different answers to that question, but basic principles and the foundation of is you're going to have a more present player. You're going to have a player that's more susceptible to being more mentally tough. And he's going to be able to, he or she, excuse me, is going to be able to focus on whatever you're teaching them and whatever they're practicing on in practice better because they're better at the mental practice and the mental health that you're prioritizing.
1: Well, yeah, it goes back to the, the word I keep thinking of as you're saying that is the word process and um, coaches especially high school coaches and i i do it all the time too we love to use that word hey focus on the process focus on the process and it's trickled down i think the i think the 76ers uh <laughs> joel and beat has used the word process a lot it gets a bit of a bad rap now because everyone's like well shouldn't they be good by now if <laughs> they keep using this <laughs> word but uh anyway so it's it's kind of it's it's made its way to high school sports that's big and and i think a lot of coaches use it and some use it better than others but it is to your point you know if you if, if you're in a stress situation a quote-unquote pressure pressure situation in a game um, and your thoughts are getting away from from where you normally where you need them to be I guess and you're starting to focus on the situation then you get more amped up and and that can get really rough for you and so this focus on on the process that you've created for yourself through this, you know, training that you'll do within practices through being better about your breathing. Um, you can rely back on that and then use that in games. Right. And you, you can now, you, you can truly be focused on the process. Whereas before it's just a coach saying, Hey, focus on the process. And then when you strike out, the coach gets mad and you're like, well, now wait a second,
0: <laughs> were focused on the process here. Now. that's a key point as well is, <clears throat> excuse me if we clearly define the process for people listening out there, I know, like you said, it's been, you know, part of the 76ers thing where it's like, we're losing 80 games a year on purpose. That's our process. It's like, okay. Uh, But the process in terms of what we're talking about for like mental health and what you're alluding to is what can I control pitch to pitch? What can I control in any situation that I can fall back on? That's my process to be successful And so like the examples we have at Jager Sports, like for a pitcher, for example, would be deep breath, focal point, attack. That's three things I can control every single pitch. I can take a deep breath, I can get a focal point, and I can attack that focal point with fastball mentality. As a hitter, deep breath, see the ball well, attack, same sort of thing. So it's a deep breath to get you grounded, rooted in the present moment. Something you're doing intentionally with your eyes, see the ball well or focal point, and then attack. Attack as a pitcher is easy because I have the ball in my hand and I'm going to attack. As a hitter, it's not necessarily you're swinging every time, but you have that intention every time where you're going to attack seeing the ball well. And if it's in the spot you want, you're going to put a good swing on it or whatnot. But the process is basically what can I control? Every single time, every single situation, no matter what variables are going on around me in life, in athletics, wherever it may be, the process is something you can default to. One of Alan's keywords is my default system. What can I fall back on no matter what's going on? And the more you can remind yourself of that, I had written on one of my hats in college, um, the easier it becomes to kind of get get away from all those variables that are coming up. I'm so glad you mentioned the life part too,
1: because you can use this. And ultimately that's the goal is that, you know, when kids leave our, our tutelage or whatever, that, you know, some will go play college sports, some won't, whatever, but that they have this skill for life. They're going to be able to rely on it to not get uh, absurdly upset at their their spouse, to not uh, get road rage, to uh, not get really upset at an email that they're reading. It's just a way to ground yourself and not, and not get so focused on things that are maybe outside of your control. And I think that's something that, um, we're, we we want to do in order to give our kids a better chance of being better humans. And yeah, in the short run, we'll, we'll win more games. So it, I mean, it works out well for everybody.
0: Right. And I, I literally have a process for like driving through a tunnel. That used to be a big thing for me. I'd get claustrophobic and have panic attacks. And so I have a process for that process for probably too many things, but it goes to show you exactly what you're saying is that this can help, Um, far beyond the white lines in the classroom, um, which as coaches, we're highly invested in the GPAs of our students. So this will help them perform better, study better. Um, There's so many tangible results that you'll start to see once it starts being implemented. It's just the starting part and the action that's the toughest part.
1: It is. I, so I have, a, I have a really simple example, and then we can dive in and, and give coaches something to actually use uh, here without my silly comments. But uh, so... Th- we're recording this on a Monday. So on Friday, we had, our dog ran a, a neighborhood cat up our tree. Really <laughs> high. And I am deathly afraid of of, of extension ladders. I can climb a, a normal triangle ladder uh, to 30 feet and be fine. But there's something mentally where if there's an extension ladder involved, like I can't do it. Like I just there's something about it. So anyway, we <laughs> my wife decides we're gonna get out. She 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 calls Home Depot and makes me go rent a 32-foot extension ladder we extended up onto the t- this tree, this cat's so high. He can't even, he can't get down to the branches below him. And it took, it took me a good probably 10 minutes to build up the courage to go up this ladder. And I start climbing up it and my wife starts like trying to be encouraging because she knows I hate heights. And I'm like, I was just like, babe, I, you can't talk to me right now. I need to be able to just breathe. <laughs> like I just, I need to be able to just breathe right now and just go up this ladder and not know that I'm going up a ladder so that I can get to the top of it. And, uh, Anyway, we got the cat down. Everything was fine, but it was awful. I hate. I cannot do heights.
0: So it it's was, a happy
1: ending. Yeah, it, it all worked out well. No one got scratched. <laughs> it turned out okay.
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That is so good. See the breathing, your process. You had yeah.
1: So that's where I want to go to. I want to give. Um, I want to give our listeners two things. I want to give them um, uh, a sample guided meditation. I'm so glad you said earlier that it's going to be basic because I think um, I, w- I want. I want coaches to be able to use this for themselves this first time, right? To experience it, to try it on themselves. And then to, if they feel the, the courage to do so, to be able to use this recording, um, the, the guided meditation part in a practice so they, they can use it with their players. And then ultimately by doing this and seeing how basic it is, they'll realize how you don't have to be amazing. You don't have to be this expert to be able to do this yourself as well. Um, And so that's kind of my hope is that by, by giving, by giving us this guided meditation, we're taking ourselves through it. We're able to use it with our athletes. And then we're able to uh, kind of get the courage to do it ourselves in the future. If we, if we start to just take the dive and feel comfortable doing it.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And so first things first is like you said, and like I said earlier, this is going to be, basic. This is, um, what we would do on the first day of a Jager sports camp, whether you were eight years old or we'd always encourage the parents to kind of get involved. Um, and all of our mental training and all of mental training in general is going to revolve around the breath. And we could do a whole nother hour podcast on the benefits of the breath, why it revolves around the breath, but just know that there's scientific benefits. There's, it gets you to the present moment and you can get out of your head most quickly in terms of thought snowballs by focusing on the breath. And so that's what this exercise is going to be about. And I'm just going to give you an introduction. I'm going to take you through. And then when we're done with it, it's probably going to be about eight to 10 minutes. When we're done with it, we'll talk about the correlation on field success. We'll talk about how you could get more in depth. Um, and if you have any questions, Max, that you think people would want to know, or that you want to know, we can cover that as well. Um, but this is something you can do yourself. I encourage you, if you're listening right now, to go through it as we do it. Um, and then this is something, you know, Max alluded to. Jeremy Sheetinger does this with his players at Georgia Gwinnett College every single day. Um, he lays them down in the outfield or wherever. He, sometimes he's at home plate when the grass is wet. He's posted some pictures. But basically, he gets it done no matter what um, to kind of start his day or end his day with his players. And so what we're gonna do before we get started, what we're gonna do is it's gonna kind of be in phases. The first phase is we're just gonna get comfortable, we're gonna get present, we're gonna make sure no legs are crossed, anything like that, and then we're gonna count the breath. And so on an inhale, it's gonna be one, exhale two, inhale three, exhale four, inhale five, exhale six, and so on and so forth. And if you lose count because thoughts come up, no big deal just start over. So on your, you you realize you've lost count, go back, inhale one, exhale two, inhale three, and just keep going. And I'll guide you as we're doing it. Then we're going to spend some time in just stillness and some quiet where you're not counting the breath. You just let go, observe your thoughts. And then after that, we'll bring you out, get back to the present moment. And then we'll talk a little more. Um, Does that make sense, Max? Everything good there?
1: It sounds awesome. Yeah, let's do it. I'll, I'll hand the mic over to you and I'll I'll mute myself. So if I knock over something, i out of here.
0: <laughs> or a cat <laughs> gets up that. a tree or something. Yeah, that's right. You never know. <laughs> it,
1: craziness happens here in old houses. So uh, yeah, I'm excited for this. I'll, I'll go ahead and hand the mic over to you and, and let you take us through it. Perfect. Absolutely. So
0: yeah, so anybody listening or if you're doing this with your players, the first part is to just get comfortable. If you're sitting in a chair... Uh, Make sure that your feet aren't crossed, your hands aren't crossed. Just nice and relaxed, nice and loose. Um, When we do this with players, we lay them down. We like to lay them down, arms at the side. Basically, no body parts touching, just nice and relaxed, nice and comfortable. The first part here, you want to check in with your body. So this is all about getting present, getting relaxed, Try to feel if you have any discomfort anywhere in your body. You can still shuffle around here if you have any itches or anything. This is all about getting extremely comfortable, present, and just committing to the next eight to 10 minutes of the exercise. So if you do have any discomfort, maybe lower back, we tend to hold a lot of tension in our jaw, Maybe just flex that part of the body, get it comfortable, stretch it, and then go back to a nice, relaxed, relaxed position. Maybe another 30 seconds here or so. Just committing to the exercise. Getting quiet, getting relaxed, letting your body sink into whatever it is that you're sitting on that you're laying down on. Just let all the tension out of your body. So at this point, we're gonna get ready to count the breath. So at this point, you shouldn't move anymore. You should be nice and relaxed. And you should begin to focus on your breath. Don't count yet. Just start to be aware of your breath. Notice your belly rising. Take a nice deep breath in through the nose. And out through the mouth. Okay, at this point, you can begin the counting of the breath. So remember, inhale one. Exhale two. Inhale three. Exhale four. And so on. Remember, if you lose count, it's no big deal. There's no judgment, no right or wrong. Just start back at one and count the breath. If thoughts come into your mind that's totally normal, don't engage. Just remember to focus on the breath and focus on your count. Remember, if thoughts come up, that's okay. It's totally normal. Your only job here is to count your breath and commit to this exercise. Okay, at this point, you can let go of the count. And this part of the exercise, you just get to be still and observe your thoughts. Just simply be where you are. If thoughts come up, that's okay. Just kind of picture them as clouds floating above you and passing by. you don't engage with them, you just simply observe the thought and let it pass. Remember to just be still, take nice deep breaths, And just let the time pass. Thoughts coming up are extremely normal. Your job is just to observe the thought and let it go. Don't engage with it. Don't judge it, good or bad. Just observe it, let it go, and continue to take deep breaths. Allow yourself to let go. You can picture yourself floating on a raft where your body weight is just completely supported by the raft. You're just sinking into whatever you're sitting on or laying on and letting go. Thoughts come up, we observe them, we don't engage them, we let them go and get back to taking a nice deep breath. Okay, at this point, you can start to notice the sounds around you, the smells around you. Take another deep breath in through the nose, out through the mouth. You can notice with your eyes, you can open your eyes and look around you. Kind of bring yourself back to the present moment where you are. Notice your environment and bring yourself out at your own pace. Another deep breath or two. You can start to move your fingers, move your toes. Just get back to this present moment. Engage in the present moment. And get ready for the rest of your day or whatever it is that you have to do. One more deep breath and bring yourself out back to where you are. Listening to this recording, whatever it is you may be doing and ready for the rest of your day. And there it is. Ten minutes, simple as that. And um, uh, relaxes me doing it. Yeah, I, the it always
1: gets me when if there's a guided meditation of any kind and the the jaw. I, I I guess I carry a lot of tension or stress in my jaw because whenever, even when I'm falling asleep, sometimes uh, if I'm having trouble and I I take a moment to like scan or whatever. And I realize like, Oh, it's my jaw. And <laughs> you know, like, I relax that. And it's like, all of a sudden it just like washes over me. Like either, either sleep if I'm trying to go to sleep or just, I can feel myself going into the meditation at that point. But it's like, if I, if I forget to loosen the jaw, it's just, it's so hard for me to get into it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of tension in the jaw. I know for me, there's a lot of tension in my, like the back of my neck that I usually hold. And, um, yeah, it's amazing when you, Take the time to just kind of check in with your body. You realize how many little, you know, knees, ankles, <laughs> shoulders. What's what's causing you a little pain, especially after the, the years and the miles on your body. Yeah, well, and
1: one of the big things to pick up on for coaches is that's ten minutes. So can you can you carve out ten minutes? And I right. think I think most of us, if we're being really honest with ourselves, uh, we can we can get everything done we want to get done and find ten minutes anyway.
0: Right. And it's, it's kind of like the arm care and conditioning as well. I keep coming back to that where it's the prioritizing of the health, but if you lay the groundwork for your players and you have a great culture, this is something that they might be able to take over and implement themselves before practice, like even before the stretch with the team or whatever it is. Um, And yeah, and that's, like we have the beautiful thing about the software is I have, I was going to use my phone stopwatch, but I had the the count right in front of me. And that was, we went from 40 minute 46 to minute 56. And so it, it's literally 10 minutes. And, you know, if you have seven minutes, you could do that in seven minutes. Each part gets a little shorter, but um, yeah. And so, you know, usually if we were together with people or whatnot, we'd ask them how they're feeling or different stuff. But in terms of, or for the sake of the podcast and the listener, um, just going over the benefits and how it correlates to athletic performance. And so, um, like we said, that's very very basic. That's literally zero zero one. I don't even think it's one hundred one in terms of meditation visualization, what you can actually do with that exercise. Um, but there's a very strong point there. And so we had. We did an exercise where we focused on the breath and we count the breath. One, two, three. And if you were doing this with us or if you're doing it, you know, not even just for the first time, if you're kind of new at meditation, what happens a lot of times is you'll start the count and then all of a sudden you'll start to think about a cat that's stuck in your tree or a panic attack you had at the habit or all these thoughts come up, right? Right your job is just to get back to the breath and counting your breath. And it seems very simple, but what you're training your mind to do and how this correlates into life performance and athletic performance is the cat being in the tree or the habit panic attack or anything that distracts you during the exercise. And then you work on getting back to the breath and counting the breath. That's going to train your brain that when you're in the seventh inning and the bases are loaded and these thoughts come up, Your brain is trained to get back to a default system and it gets back to what you're training it to focus on. And so, if you get really good at getting back to the count or being more consistent in your count with the breath and not letting the thoughts engage your brain or not engage them for as long, you're going to be better at focusing on deep breath, focal point attack, deep breath, see the ball well attack, regardless of if there's scouts in the stands, my girlfriend's not in the stands, I need to get a C on this paper to pass this class, whatever the variables that you can't control, they start to hold less and less power over you, the better you get at an exercise like this. And that's the biggest key to take away from this mental training part is it seems simple, it seems remedial, but it's science. Like it's way smarter people than me that have done the research in terms of your brain's neuroplastic. And its ability to kind of evolve if you give it a chance to. And so, you know, the second part after we did the count, where you're just observing your thoughts, that's just another way of not, of practicing not engaging with your thoughts and trying to look at them as clouds or birds passing overhead to where, yeah, there's a scout in the stands, but I can't control that. That doesn't matter to me. I'm going to focus on this pitch. Or, yeah, uh, the bases are loaded and, you know, I'm 0 for 3 today with 3Ks or whatever it may be, but I can't control any of that. I can just control my commitment to this pitch. And that's what the practice and the mental training really, really does and does a great job of if you do it over time and you commit to it.
1: Yeah, it helps you in games helps you in life uh, helps you helps you get over different things it helps me climb a ladder that i really i don't want to climb this freaking ladder i feel like i'm going to fall off i don't know what it is right and right. i think it's really important the, the other part is we're you know most people listening here are, are working with high school kids and so there's going to be an immediate um anxiety at least there was for me before i did our first one of what are the kids going to think um Are they gonna buy into this um they're they're especially guys are in this environment right now where especially with social media there's this almost feeling where we've got to be super ultra manly um to to put you know to to sit here and do a meditation what if you know someone walks by practice and sees me doing this like what will they think of me and so i i just my own like reasoning here is is for coaches to really do what you just did and explain to your players before you do this for the first time explain to them the benefits that they get out of it and um, the first time we did it we had I was expecting like I'll you know I'll, I'll see a few kids that aren't even trying or whatever and then I'll ask them about it afterwards I'm like yeah it's whatever um, no man if you if you explain the process and why you're doing this before you do it, um, it it's I don't want to say magical, but it was, it was awesome. The first, the first time we ever did it.
0: Yeah. And this is going to be a little bit of a harsh statement, but I don't care. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, If you, anything that you're teaching as a teacher, coach, leader, if you're not explaining the why before you're failing, period, in my opinion, it, the kids are not going to buy in. Your athletes aren't going to buy in. I don't care if they're adults and you're running a Fortune 500 company. They're not going to buy in if they don't know the why behind what they're doing. And it's such a great point, Max, because if you if you don't, I, I just can picture this. This would be actually a funny Saturday <laughs> night. Meditation. if you've never prioritized mental health and you've never done a mental training and you don't tell your kids anything before. That would actually be a great video if you could send it to me, coaches. But (laughs) Just like, hey guys, we're going to lay down today and breathe. And then you'd get parents calling you like, what the heck did you do with my kids today? So, but yeah, if you explain it to them, if you make it cool, tell them Clayton Kershaw does it, you know, find examples of athletes that they idolize, Tiger Woods, visualization, you know, and explain the why. And especially, If you make it about a journey you're going on with them, like if as the coach, yes, you're leading them through it, but you tell them that you're going to do it with them. Maybe after you get it ingrained after a week or two, you go, hey, we're doing our exercise today. I'm going to lay down with you and we're going to do this and we're going to get ready for practice. And it doesn't have to be the way we just did it necessarily, where it's a little more calm and zen-like. It can be intentional for what you're doing that day as well. Like after you get the foundation built, you can say, okay, guys, today, after the first two minutes where we just get comfortable, we get any tension on our body, we're going to focus on competitiveness and we're going to focus on whatever the intention is for that day. Or if you have a game or you have, you know, SATs coming up, whatever it is, there's intentional meditation. That's as you get a little farther along and if we spent more time together throughout a program we would implement visualization where you're visualizing a specific pitch you're throwing, a specific pitch you're hitting, a specific situation, because there's all kinds of science with that too. But if you explain the why you make it cool and you make it as you're a part of their journey with them, you'll get a tremendous amount of more buy-in. And I bet you those kids would be proud of it and kind of brag about it to their other peers that aren't on that team
1: uh it's true i only had one kid fall asleep the first time we did it
0: <laughs> yeah uh,
1: yeah and, and one of the one of the big benefits from this too and i'm just again speaking own anecdotes from from when i've tried it with my teams um is the the after as you're as you're moving on into practice and you're doing things and you can just kind of go up to a kid hey what what do you think about that how'd that go what'd you feel and you're opening up this and this entirely new avenue of ability to, to to talk with your players about mental health without going up to them and saying, hey, let's talk about mental health now, right? <laughs> You're just able to ask them, hey, how'd you do? What, what was that like for you? And it kind of opens up, kind of opens a new door that you can have with a relationship with your players. And obviously that's that's
0: what sports are all about. Absolutely. That's, that's so perfectly said. And that's the the culture part that you build and the more and more that you do it, the more exercises that you do, the more times you talk about it, the more normal it becomes like everything else in your program. And that's where it'll make your job easier with a little bit of legwork and just some small action steps at the beginning in terms of prioritizing mental health, you know, being a human being with your athletes. If something does come up, you're not in a world of hurt trying to figure out how to help. You have resources in place. There's a culture in place where the athlete feels comfortable asking for help or help. That was weird Freudian slip. I said health, um, but they're, they're more comfortable asking for help and it's just a a cool environment and you're going to play better and win more games, which is you're, you know, accomplishing two things at one time.
1: Yeah. What a byproduct. You're telling me we're going to win
0: too? Okay, great.
1: Um, I'll toss a bunch of resources. I'll link in your your foundation. Um, and the, the resources page on your foundation, which you mentioned mentioned earlier, Is I was checking it out last night. It's phenomenal. Um, I'll link in the, the Alan Jagger video on the Art of Quiet and uh, a couple of other things. But I wanted to circle back to probably the most important part of the discussion, uh, and that's the office. And I wanted to ask you if you have a favorite scene or character from the office that he wanted to share?
0: Oh my goodness. Um, let's see. So favorite scenes. I mean, the deposition episode where uh, Michael's, <laughs> <I agree>. being, <laughs> yeah, Michael's being deposed and he's like, practice all these lines that he's supposed to say to the lawyers on the line of questioning. And then the line of questioning kind of gets out of hand and they ask him a question. He doesn't know what to say. And he just says line. <laughs> and the the guy that's kind of the mediator or whatever, he's like, what are you saying? And the guy's like line. Like he asked for a line, like in a play because he doesn't know what he's saying. Uh, but there's so many. I I literally I, I would say about 40 percent of my humor um, is just lines from the office. And it's just my one of my best friends. We game all the time. That's our little competitive outlet. And he's a diehard. And Half our vocabulary comes from that show. So, um, yeah, if you ever need a little fun in your life and just, you know, turn on The Office, I think we all have a Dwight in our life, we all have a Michael <laughs> Scott, and, uh, you know, hopefully we can all have a Pam Beasley at some point, too.
1: Yeah, that's what my wife and I pretty much every... There's probably some sort of Office reference in every conversation we've ever had for <laughs> yeah. the entirety of our relationship.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah.
1: Well, at China I just... I knew this would be great. I know coaches who, who, who listen to this are going to be better for their athletes and give them uh, a better, uh, a better environment. And even, even if the environment you've been providing your, your kiddos has been amazing um, giving them this extra space is going to help them in, in so many different ways. Um, I wanted to hand the mic over to you one last time. If you have any parting thoughts, anything that we, we didn't get to that maybe we should have any resources that you're aware. I don't know. Just give you the mic and give you a chance here to kind of finish things off.
0: Yeah, no, well, first and foremost, thank you for what you do. I think this is incredible. Uh, The opportunity is incredible. I know when Alan kind of hooked us up, I was pumped to talk. And anytime you can make an hour, nine minutes, feel like 10 minutes, you know, you're having fun and you're speaking about something that you're passionate about. Um, So I appreciate you and what you're doing. Um, And then just for coaches out there that are listening, you know, two, two points. Number one is don't forget about yourself. You know, I think in coaching, we're always researching things to help our athletes, which is necessary. And we need to do that. But coaches are human beings, too. And you need to take care of yourself. Um, You need to get your sleep. I know that's like, haha, we're coaches, we don't sleep, but you need to get your sleep. You need to take care of your nutrition. You need to do the mental health exercises for yourself, too. Um, And then just you have no idea how little action steps that you implement can literally save lives. I run a foundation and I deal with terrible calls from parents, coaches that have lost kids to suicide. um, And they want to get involved and they want to be engaged and we're lucky to have them because they make it their life's work after that. But the action steps that are taken um, in preparation can be preventative and we can avoid a lot of the suicides. And it just, it starts with tiny action steps, prioritizing mental health, Getting help, you know, get a network. It's not all on you, coaches. You know, this is a passion of mine. If you want me to speak to your team, just reach out. Um, completely free. This is my passion because I I lived the other side of this where I didn't have resources, didn't feel like I had anywhere to turn, and so just prioritize mental health, do something daily, um, and be a human being. If you remind yourself of those three things, I think you'll be. Um, doing okay and doing a great service for your players and then the last thing I'll leave that I've been I've been doing in my presentations I heard this question from Buck Showalter at a clinic that he did and if you're a coach just ask your question constantly would you want to play for you right I don't think I think we all know the coaches we liked and didn't like as we were growing up but how often do you remind yourself of the attributes that you didn't like and the attributes that you did like and try to embody that on a daily basis um, in your leadership And so just ask yourself that question. Would you want to play with? Would you want to play for you um, if you were your own coach? And um, thank you would be my last thing to all the coaches out there, because sometimes it's a thankless job and you guys are incredible. So I just appreciate all the coaches I had, all the coaches that are out there now and uh, appreciate you, Max, for this opportunity.
1: What a great question. What would you want to play for yourself? I think also, I'm thinking like, would I want to take my own class as a teacher? Man, I don't know. That's awesome. Um, China, like I said, I knew this would be awesome. It was. Anyone who Alan Jager <laughs> promotes is great. Obviously, you've been with him for <laughs> 21 years, so he must think okay of you, I suppose. Hopefully. Uh, this was great. I uh, really appreciate you coming
0: on. Yeah, thank you.
1: Oh man, did I tell you that was gonna be special or what? So many resources, so many great ideas, the why behind mental training, how it helps your players be better humans, uh, how that translates to winning more games. As coaches, we are so good at talking the talk, but how many of us are truly investing time and energy to helping our players be better people, be great future husbands, wives, moms, dads, leaders. I know I can do better, maybe you can too. I linked a bunch of resources in the show notes, so check those out. Huge thanks, all the gratitude in the world to China McCarney and Jagger Sports. Such valuable people, such valuable resources for all of us and our athletes. If you or anybody you know would make a good guest on the club, uh, reach out to me, Twitter at Mr. MaxPrice or at HS Coaches Club. You can also email me directly, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. And lastly, be sure to sign up to become a free member of the High School Coaches Club if you haven't done so already. That link is in the show notes. It takes about 90 seconds to join this extensive national network of coaches, trainers, administrators, athletic directors, booster club members. What else can we list? All sorts of people. All of them dedicated to one common goal, and that's giving high school athletes the best experience they can you are awesome. You matter. I can't thank you enough for being part of the club. Thanks for doing everything in your power to give your athletes a chance at success in life. Thank you so much. And as Coach Lee would say,
0: loving you.